Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hey. Welcome, everybody. So glad you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, so, so glad to have Bethany Morrow and Marco Shira here with us today to celebrate um, Bethany's book. Um, welcome. We're here in, in sunny Los Angeles from this angle, but all coming from all over the place um, and, and here to celebrate a song below water. A uh, couple points of business. We're going to start with a little bit of reading. I'll do in a brief introduction. We'll do a little bit of reading from the book. Then we'll let uh, Mark and Bethany talk for a while, and then we will take questions from y'all. And we can go through the logistics of that when we get there, whether there's questions in the chat or, or um, speaking for yourself. Um, but welcome, welcome. It's so nice to be able to share this digital space, even when we're stuck yeah. at great distances. Agreed. Um, all right. Uh, oh, also a reminder, like this, it's, we just learned, was it June 4th you were saying, Bethany, that the book just went into a second printing it's well which is super super exciting yes. so um you want to get your uh pre-order in as quick as you can uh and if you order through skylight books through our website um we'll send it to you or you can come pick it up with a very special pin that goes with the book Yay. and a signed book plate so um just keep that in mind and um, even though we can't be here to get uh, bethany to sign copies that's the best we can do um which is, you know, his own kind of magic. Yeah. All right. Um, so grateful to have our guest here today. Marco Shiro is the author of Anger is a Gift, winner of the 2019 Schneider Family Book Award and nominated for 2019 Lammy Award. Their upcoming novels include Each of Us a Desert for Young Adult Readers and The Insiders for Middle Graders. You can check them out on their online forum, Mark Does, Mark Does Duff Universe. Uh, and they're here today to talk with Bethany Morrow. Bethany Morrow is a recovering expat splitting her time between Montreal, Quebec, and upstate New York. A California native, Bethany graduated from the University of California, Santa Cruz, with a BA in sociology, while also taking notable detours in the film and theater departments. Following undergrad, she studied clinical psychological research at the University of Wales, Bangor, in Great Britain, before returning to North America to focus on her literary work. This work ranges across genres and uses character and language to investigate worlds not unlike our own. All right, we're here today for A Song Below Water. In a society determined to keep her under lock and key, Tavia must hide her siren powers. Meanwhile, Effie is fighting her own family struggles, pitted against literal demons from her past. Together, these best friends must navigate through the perils of high school's junior year. But everything changes in the aftermath of a siren murder trial that rocks the nation. 
a captivating modern fantasy about black mermaids, friendship, and self-discovery set against the challenges of today's racism and sexism. Um, there's been a lot of really beautiful attention on the book uh, happening recently, and I hope you'll check that out as well. I just wanted to share two, two words that I thought were particularly illuminating. Uh, Danielle Clayton calls it an enthralling tale of black girl magic and searing social commentary ready to rattle the bones. And Akemi Don Bowman says, a song below water reminds us how important it is to use our voices even when we're afraid. So with that, let's have a very warm welcome for Benny Morrow. Thank you. So I'm going to Under read- Under a applause. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read from chapter three today. So if you know about the book, there are dual POVs. And so it goes from Tavia, which is our siren character, to Effie, which is her sister friend, who is something, who's becoming something. Um, and of course, doesn't know what that is yet. So I know that the first two chapters were available for a while um, online in preview. And so I don't want to read something that maybe people have already read before. So we're going to start with chapter three, which is Tavia. They have just returned back to her home. And her father is like immediately upset and paranoid because there is a gargoyle roosting on their house which he feels is probably Tavia's fault. So, <laughs> so we're going to start here in chapter three from Tavia's perspective. You need more seriously, Tavia, he's saying, one finger pointing at the ceiling as though maybe the gargoyles in our upstairs rather than perched on the roof. I barely have time to get in the house before the lecture begins. Earlier, I'd been relieved not to have to see my dad all day, but really that only made it worse. It's meant that in the background, everywhere we were, and no matter what I was doing, I kept imagining his response. Not his words, but the way they'd make me feel. Effie did her best to keep me occupied, but all day, all I could think was, Dad's going to be pissed. No, that's not it. I know better. Dad's going to be scared. Again. Now I know that I was right. All my unease, the palm sweats and acid reflux, was because I know my dad well. He probably saw the same breaking news I did, and then the gargoyle returned to roost tonight, the way it's done for the better part of three years. It all mixes together and makes my dad terrified and angry. Do you hear me? He demands with a raised voice. Rodney. My mom just has to say my dad's voice, and his eyebrows buckle. Like if she weren't there, he could spin out easy. Like she's the only reason he won't. He grabs hold of his neat black beard like he's pulling himself together for her. I hear you, Dad. I drop my eyes and wish I had a curtain of twists to shield me like Effie does. Instead, my twist out is pulled up in a top knot that felt really stylish this morning, but now makes my forehead feel like it's liable to split, and worse, leaves my face completely exposed. It's like he's a beacon, Geneva, he's saying to my mom like I'm invisible, like I didn't preemptively clear my history to make him happy. Whenever he gives up like this and only talks to her, I feel like I've physically shrunk. Like if I keep it up, one day I'll disappear. Like maybe that's what he wants. Three years he's been roosting here. You don't think the neighbors are wondering why? What about our house is different? What makes a gargoyle choose us? What he's protecting? Effie's right beside me, and there's no way she speaks up in a situation like this. But I know what she'd say. Something totally sardonic and hilarious, but only to me, which is fine because she'd only say it to me anyway. If I were her, I could get away with smirking and saying, I don't know, Dad, Hillside's a pretty desirable neighborhood, plus we've got that spire, which I obviously don't say. No, I don't think the neighbors are wondering why. My mom is being gentle with him, like my dad's the one who needs consoling today. 
I think they're envious. And who says gargoyles are protectors? He doesn't have an answer for that, but what does that matter? We've got a secret, and as far as my dad's concerned, everything threatens to give us away. The fact that anyone else would be excited to host a gargoyle is beside the point. The fact that gargoyles are ridiculously rare, are the only non-human magical beings besides sprites, and therefore, and most importantly, have zero connection to sirens, doesn't matter. And even if they were protectors, I hate when she does this. Not every siren has a guard. My mom doesn't go one step further and remind him that no siren does. That's why there's a network in the first place. These people don't know that, Geneva. He keeps saying her name, like he wants to be sure I know he, he's not talking me. They're not supposed to know which of us are sirens and which aren't. And they won't, honey, if you keep your voice down. The room is sudden quiet. And of course, now is the time for the gargoyle to curl his stone talons tighter so that they scrape the drain pipe. When my parents' eyes lift, mine close. I hate that beast. The four of us are standing in a circle, Effie and me side by side. We've only come just beyond the foyer, but none of us move to the living room or try to take a seat. When the beast on our roof is done adjusting, my parents pick up the conversation where they left off. I'm gonna get rid of him, Geneva. All right, honey, I have to. None of us ask him how or why three years later he thinks it's going to work. When the thing first arrived or when a week had passed and we accepted that our house wasn't just a rest stop on his way somewhere else, my dad had tried blocking his perch. Whenever the gargoyle was away, he'd climb out my bedroom window and onto the roof to put something in its place, I guess in the hopes that gargoyles are severe creatures of habit and it would have no choice but to flee. Or maybe it wouldn't recognize the house. I don't know. I don't know any more about them than he does. None of us do. The only gargoyle mythos I've heard is that they're created, chiseled by a master out of solid stone, which, full disclosure, I saw in a cartoon when I was little. No one ever disputes it, but who would? Other than the odd publicity stunt that turned out to be a load of crap, there aren't any known gargoyle masters chiseling new beasts to life, as far as anyone knows. Gargoyles don't speak for themselves. Who knows if they even can? What we know is that there's one gargoyle in Portland, and he chose us. According to the news crew that eventually showed up and that my dad couldn't bar filming it from the street below ours, this gargoyle is the first to perch in the city in a very long time. So I'm pretty sure it has nothing to do with me. But that doesn't matter. According to my dad, everything's my fault. Oh, we're gonna have a whole gargoyle talk <laughs> at some point. So everyone in the chat, because I already saw something you're talking about, we're, we'll get there. We had other things to talk about. So uh, first of all, hi, everyone. I'm Mark Oshiro. I am so excited to have this conversation. Uh, I am a big fan of you since Mem, and I have a lot of feelings about that, but we're not going to talk about that book. We're going to talk about the book that just came out, uh, A Song Below Water. It is a book about, about transformation. It is a book about Black sisterhood. Mm -hmm. It is a book about reclaiming naming spaces, so much to talk to you about, but I'm gonna start with my quintessential, very me question. Um, and the question I have for you is why are you like this? Why are you like this and how did it end up that this is the book that you wrote? So firstly, I just need to call out Miriam and Elle yeah. and if you guys could keep it down in the chat, that would be great. I just oh. saw like five messages <laughs> from Miriam. Like, um, please, yeah. you guys, professional, professionalism. No. Um, <laughs> So why am I like this? I, I don't know, but I know that I've been like this my entire life. So it's 
it's a, it's not going away anytime soon. Let me put it that way. Like my dad was putting together before the whole Rona thing, my dad was putting together our family reunion. He was hosting it for the first time since like 1988 or something. And he found, you know, he's getting all these pictures together and all this video. And of course he finds a video of me being just a tiny dictator <laughs> and like ordering my older sister's I'm the youngest daughter, right? Ordering my oh older my sisters God. around and like deciding how everything was going to be. And I was like, yeah. please don't post this. I'm 37 years old and this still yeah. embarrasses me. Like, <laughs> so, so um, yeah, that's, that's me. I have this thing though, where I just have a really, I, I will say, and I don't apologize for this, but like, I have a very strong conviction. And if, if I believe something, you're not going to shut me up about it. Um, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm never going to take responsibility for being angry at something I have a right to be angry about um, or for fixing something that I didn't mess up. Um, so this book literally came out of a relationship with my sister. We were on, I've told this so many times, I'm so sorry to anybody who's seen this before. And Miriam and Elle, it's your fault because you come to like every event. <laughs> um, but I was on DM with my sister, Jennifer, which I always am. And it was like in 2017 or something. And uh, we were watching a black woman be completely abused and dragged up and down the timeline um, for telling the truth because that's what happens. But of course, a specific type of misogynoir and vitriol that is like reserved just for black women. Um, and of course, part of it is to tell them that they aren't anything and that nobody cares about them and nobody, you know, needs to hear them and nobody takes them seriously. And I'm like, that can't be true or you wouldn't all be in this frothing rage that right. you're in. Right. So I, I DM'd my sister Jennifer and I was like, my voice is power. Like, I know that's why you're mad. And then as soon as I sent her that, I was like, that sounds like something a black siren would say. And it also and, sounds like yeah. only black women are sirens then. Like this is a specific fear and hatred and whatever that is directed at black women. And God forbid you have any other aspects of your identity. Like, mm -hmm. I just don't know what to tell you. There's a line in this book that says siren and black and female are just, just drama on on, or trauma on top of trauma. Um, yeah. So imagine, obviously, having any sort of queer idea, being Muslim, being like anything else. It's like, how do we even exist um, sometimes with the way that the world treats us? So um, as soon as I said that line, though, I knew that, that there was a black siren. I knew that it was a teenager. And therefore, Tavia sort of came to me with her whole situation sort of fully formed, which was, if there are black sirens, they are hated. I know that because I'm a black woman in the world. Right. And if they are hated, there's, there has to be someone else who society intentionally chooses and anoints as being the, the prize, the right thing to be. It's not enough to just denigrate black women. You have to always be lifting up someone else, usually some other identity of woman, in order to make the point that mm -hmm. it's specifically black women that you despise. Um, we see that constantly and it's actually too upsetting to even go into examples because um, they're observable. You, if, you're, if you are awake, you'll see them. Um, so I definitely knew immediately who Tavia was and I knew that there had to be another magical creature that was basically on the opposite end of the spectrum. Right. Um, which is... Uh... 
I think this is so interesting too, the way that you answered this question, because I, if this is a great pivot to talking about the actual craft of the novel as well, because I see your conviction and the way that you hold yourself and the way you speak about the world through the book. Mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, like there's all this bullshit talk about like separating like the art from the artist. But I think one of the great things about not mm -hmm. being able to get a person's experience and the shit that they've been through and they translate it into this beautiful work of art. Yeah. Um, so I want to, because here's the thing, we don't get asked craft questions. I know. We don't. It's all about like, oh, let's talk about diversity 101. Uh, right. Why, we, why are there diverses? Why is it important to see yourself um, in books? Yeah, we are, we're not going to do any of that. Also, <laughs> diversity, I, I realize I said that, but I've actually had someone say like, how is it being a diverse? Like it's a noun? Like it's its right. own thing? And I'm like, yeah. okay, we're not doing that. So, um, Let's talk about craft, because you have this construction, and I want to talk more about how uh, uh, you've answered some of it, but how you came up with the mythology. Mm -hmm. But the thing that immediately struck me is I loved that you had two first-person narratives mm -hmm. that sounded nothing like one another. I think for, having a first, just nailing voice with one first person is hard enough. You did two of them alternating was that a, did you find that challenging? Did you find it easy to slip into their voices once you sort of determine the story yeah. for Tavia and Effie? Yeah, I mean, I, I, this is, I hate these kind of answers. They like to hear like, this was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I genuinely feel like character is my home. Like character is, is mm -hmm. what is, Language and character are hugely important to me always. That is really like my, that's like, that's my focus. And that's what brings me the most joy. And I mean, I sort of was on a steady diet as a teen of just black literary fiction. And mm -hmm. because it was like, it just the melody, just the pentameter, just um, the distinctness in characters and the way that you could give a whole character's background in a paragraph that mm -hmm. in some genres would be thought of as like that's an aside and why are you doing that and it's like if you don't understand the intrinsic like power and value of characterization regardless of whether I can make it fun and pithy and whatever in dialogue then we are not the same but um <laughs> so it was <laughs> it was really really fun for me because number one I come from a pretty large sibling set so I have eight siblings and in the house growing up there were five of us three of us were sisters that I had my two younger brothers and what happens especially when people meet one of us at a time and then are introduced yeah. to them the first thing they say is you guys all talk the same and then later oh. we'll say like and then later will be like, are you guys actually related? Like you guys are so different. And it's, it's really funny because obviously when you have a bond with people, when you have like a really serious, intense bond, of course there are times that we sound similar right. and we use the same, you know, we have the same lexicon. We have a shared sort of dialect that we use together. Um, there's a way that we, you know, the way that we joke and the way my sister Jennifer and I specifically, if you find that in the middle of a conversation, and you don't know what we're talking about we are probably quoting a movie and and right. we just give you no indication that that's what we're doing now yeah. um so and it's usually karina karina so like, <laughs> it's it's between karina and her sister javina and oh, we'll beautiful. do like an entire we'll do like an entire <laughs> scene and people will be like uh, don't want to say like i kind of lost what we're talking about we're like that's because 
we're we're in a movie now. Um, So there was something about them that I I knew I wanted there to be, I wanted you to be able to see reading Effie that she is, that she shares a dialect with Tavia and vice versa. But I also was distinctly different individuals to show that that is an aspect of the sisterhood. They overlap as an aspect of the sisterhood. So it's really important to me to have a really, because I came with such a clear and immediate image of, and not just image, but set of circumstances for Tavia, it was really important that I get the same idea for Effie and what type of person she is and having them be in two really distinctly different um, points in their in their journey to sort of self and identity um, was important to that and I love on the cover that Effie's eyes are closed and Tavia's eyes are open because it's it's where they begin the story is Tavia knows who she is and there's a level of stability which is a hard thing to say for Tavia because obviously her life is like but like there's a there is some stability that simply comes from knowing and identifying yourself and who you are which Effie isn't constantly set upon in the same way as Tavia but her instability is literally knowing something's wrong and not knowing what it is Um, and so crafting them and having them have two really, really, really distinctly different um, starting points, I think really helped with establishing their voices and what they're sort of, I love doing, especially in YA, I love doing first yeah. person because I think it's really, really important to see how people talk to themselves. Um, and I think that's especially really important for black girls and black characters because so many times you'll have a character that's plucked out and placed for the sake of diversity this is why i hate diversity Mm. um diversity is just like okay white people get to take up the exact same amount of space but we're going to add some garnish and i mean they're not really good at seasoning anyway so how do we expect them to (laughs) what i don't care this is the truth I'm going to get an email tomorrow from Tortine, like, and now about doing events, Mark. Um, Here's the thing. Uh, Tortine put both of us here tonight. So this is all, this is all you guys. You should have known. So my issue, my issue with, with that diversity is that you take an, a marginalized person and you just pluck them and put them in a predominantly white situation. And that's why they don't get to be real full and complete people yep. because there they, they, they carry it. the entire burden of education, of processing, of helping someone else understand something. And you immediately create this like magical Negro situation. Whereas when you give people community and you give people their own internal monologue, you know when they are speaking in their true voice and when they're code switching. You know, you know, it's, um, you, you know what they're doing, what they have to do for survival's sake versus who they actually are themselves. Yeah. So instead of just seeing somebody's outward experience, you actually get to experience what they experience. And it's, uh, that was also really important to me. And again, then to show two, where it's like, they are not having the same internal thought process. They are not yeah. going through the same thing. Um, I'm seeing that there is, um, someone is asking a question if, if something is weird. I don't know 
I don't know what that question is. I don't know if they're asking if it's like a technical issue. I have no idea. Anyway. Yeah. Or um, just asking like, what's wrong with them? Are like, they, why are, why are they so weird? Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to change guys. I'm yeah, sorry. it's, it's only going to get weirder <laughs> from here on out. It's only going to get worse. Buckle up. Um, yeah, so so on a craft level, like all of that, it does have to do with culture and it obviously does have to do with it being own voice, but there is, there are craft reasons. And that's why we say inclusion is a craft issue. Yeah. You're not crafting characters completely. Like, yeah. It, you, if you don't, um, if you don't engage with the world as we know it, and and include people outside of the power dominant, you know, uh, group, your craft is weak. So in some ways, I feel like I'm always being asked craft questions because you're asking me how I how I do something that you are incapable of doing or have yeah, right. shown yourselves incapable of doing, and it's and it's a craft flaw. Yeah. Um. Oh boy! Now I'm like, oh, <laughs> that hit. I love it though. But you're right. It's it is it is craft in that roundabout way that's condescending too, because mm -hmm. they don't think it's a craft question. And well, exactly, like, exactly. Oh, it's, just, you know, it's like, oh well, you're oh black, God. so let's talk about what it's like to be black. And I'm like, well, let's talk about the fact that I can that I can do dialogue and code switching and character study and um and nuance and and social commentary and. Yeah. all of those things that I then have to and can weave into my world and story. That's craft. Yeah. That, that's a yeah. competency that, yeah. Right. Yeah. I agree. Al. we need a snap emoji. We need a bunch <laughs> of snap emojis to come rain, raining down on the screen. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's talk about this world too, because so today I, I spent time listening to a wonderful conversation that uh, Jason Reynolds had on the deadline city podcast yes. about fantasy versus contemporary. And one of the things that he brought up that, as someone who likes fantasy, I was like, yo, I gotta agree with you, is how difficult it is where you get a lot of these writers who front load any fantasy, contemporary, mm -hmm. secondary, mm -hmm. it doesn't. And yeah. one of the things I love about writing specifically, and this goes with men too, is the way you reveal the fantastical world yeah. without front loading anything at right. all. You're just yeah. like, this is the world, well, this is how it happened. I, my breath was literally taken, like I had to like stop when you're getting into the park and, and, and they mentioned the statues, and I was like, oh, the statues. And then you start slowly revealing what they actually are. And I was like, what is happening? What? Like, but in what, someone who is not as good at their craft will just <laughs> tell you the backstory and right. the exposition. Right. And this, you find out emotionally at the same time as you do the literal exposition as right. well. Um, so I wanted to ask you how you go about revealing details. What things did you decide, okay, the reader's got to know this right off the bat versus here's the stuff I'm going to just slowly, slowly feed into the experience. I, I think that my default is to slowly, slowly, it's a scaffold to, yeah. you know, to just slowly layer it in. My thing is, if you're the reader and you're not paying attention to context clues and to things that are being said in dialogue and all of that stuff, you're going to miss my world building because I'm not going to be like, okay, pause. So 60 right. years ago, like that's, yeah. that's never, we're never going to do that. I expect you like, to do some work. I don't know. Yeah. 
I was just thinking like it's that thing that sometimes where it happens in a fantasy book where it's not just a pause, but then everything is italicized and it's the italicized yes. flashback. And I'm like, right. stop, you just took me out of the story. Exactly. And I feel like I'm reading a history lesson. Like, and, and that's the way that it feels to me. And so for me, I, and again, language is so important to me and the craft on a sentence level is so important to me that I don't want to do anything that disrupts that in my experience of writing it. I yeah. will tell you that anybody who has edited me has at different points been like, can you please just tell me something? Can you just <laughs> tell me what's happening? And I'm like, I don't know. No, <laughs> like, I'll think about it. Um, no, because I'm like, because I'm like, I don't, I don't understand why people want things spoon fed to them. I genuinely, that is a genuine like personality thing. I don't understand why people think of that as work when to me, and, and again, I think this is sort of, and somebody was also a social major in there, uh, but as a social major, and especially when you're doing things like, or even social psych, when you're doing things like language and cognition, and you're talking about mm -hmm. what communication actually is, when I am sitting here speaking, the only point in me sitting here speaking is the assumption that you are listening, and not not waiting for your chance to talk, but literally listening. So half of what I say, or at least some portion of what I say, occurs in your processing of it, right? And that is, and, and the, the fluidity of the conversation and whether you then contribute something back is basically how we tell if we're speaking the same language. Right. So for me, reading is a very, I'm, I, I, maybe I'm constantly you know, thinking of things from a lyrical or sociological uh, perspective. But if you're doing this with me, then part of the process is you processing the world. If I mm -hmm. give you step by step, stand here, stand here, stand here. Number one, that kind of says what I think of you, the reader, in terms of what is your capacity, what is your ability cognitively and just imagination wise and yes if i were thinking okay we're gonna we're gonna center whiteness and we're going to and, and you know we're going to think of white people as my default audience i would explain a hell of a lot more right because I, because i assume that you don't have the culture that i know that you don't have the cultural competency but my thing is you're gonna learn on your feet the same way everybody else did just at a younger age so i'm going to continue to speak to who this book is dedicated to, which mm -hmm. to black girls, meaning there are certain things I'm not going to define. And if you are really interested in making a change and changing the world and changing our lived experience in, in doing something toward our liberation, part of that is going to be you learning to speak the same dialect because we speak yours. So I'm not going to break stuff down and introduce it slowly and make sure that uh, that everybody is like, okay, now we're all on the same page. Okay, let's go to the next thing. Because I would right. have to, I would have to write really extremely simple work, and that's what we would be asking of marginalized people: is really simplify your work. When we are ready to have nuanced conversations, we are ready to demonstrate, and and not even demonstrate because it's not for them, but literally to um, sort of glory in our actual identities and humanities and cultures and and communities. And we can't do that if we're doing like a paint by numbers and making it simple enough, you know, that everybody, that everybody completely comfortable. Yeah. It's okay to feel some discomfort when you're learning a new yeah. language. So, yeah. well, and I think there are so many readers who are used to things being about them that, right. that this, this bullshit notion 
that fiction is universal and the best books are universally relatable. And they don't ask anybody else, right? They don't ask anybody else if if those things are universal. My thing is fiction is supposed to be something for everyone, not everything for someone. So you can't, Snap emojis again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you cannot expect, you can't, you can't welcome me into publishing and then be like, if you could just write like a brown version of what we've been writing. No. Yeah. No. No, no thanks. Not at all. Let's talk about another component of that because it is a good segue to talking about the way that you address community because one of the things I love so much about it is there, there is no explanation. It's just there. I have a book that is about people asserting their place in very in spaces that historically are not welcomed in but then you know like one of the things i'd written in the question i sent you was like this notion of also saying hey but we've also always exactly was the ren fair because i grew up with the ren fair and there is such a complicated relationship with mm-hmm. that because you have historical whitewashing to deal with you also have people who assume the ren fair is this incredibly accurate depiction of history but they don't actually know the history at all right um and then I don't know. I loved that element. So I wanted you to discuss um, how you wove in this notion of the communities that these people have, because e- they each have their own communities, because yeah. there's also the Siren Network right. and the choir. Um, how, how did you go about developing a community? How did you want it to feel on the page? Um, Yes, talk about these things. Yes. Talk about them. Okay, so the first thing is I really want to demonstrate something that has always been true. Our spaces are always diverse. So marginalized people's spaces are always more welcoming than predominantly white spaces because predominantly white spaces are by nature, and I always feel like I have to explain this to people who don't know, whiteness is a power conglomerate. It's not a heritage. So I'm not talking about a particular heritage or culture or community. I'm talking about whiteness as the sociological, political, economic mm-hmm. conglomeration of power, which by its very nature must subjugate someone else for them to exist. Okay, so white spaces are then inherently violent because it is, it's like I live in literally like on the border of Quebec and New York. It is like the northernmost point in the state of New York. But it's 99% white. Mm-hmm. That's intentional. Yeah. There's no way that you're going to tell me that you're a northern state and, and want to talk about the Underground Railroad and, and uh, abolitionists and freedom and blah, blah, and then you, you know, snap forward to 2020 and only white people live here. That's a choice. That's something that you intentionally created. So you see these communities in the book, um, and you can you know that because if you check the census, more black people used to live here. And then you got to wonder mm-hmm. what violence happened to let them know they weren't welcome. It's specifically um, just, for people who don't know, what's specifically in Portland because your book is oh, very, very Portland. In it's very. I am, ways, like, I am tell. I am indicting Portland in the way that you only indict places that you have at least a little bit of love for, but I'm super sick of certain things. Um, So the communities that you see in the book, when you look at the network and you look at um, the gospel choir and you look at the networks that that even the oppressed and the marginalized have created for themselves, there are always non-Black people in them. Um, There are specifically, I think the girl's named Tracy, who's in both the network and the gospel choir, who is a white girl, but she is a part, and that's just a normal, that's a normal thing. Our spaces 
are always, like always include other people. When you see Effie involved in the Ren Fair, it's repeatedly mentioned that she is like the only black girl. Mm -hmm. So for her, anytime you try to integrate white spaces, it's a thing. Like it's a, and, and I, I literally did this because when I was younger, I was obsessed with Ruin Fair. Yeah. And I'm from California, which is, of course, a blue state. But as everybody knows, um, as soon as you go outside of certain neighborhoods, I'll say, mm-hmm. it's, it's red all, all day long. It's MAGA hats everywhere. So I grew up basically wanting something so badly for the entire time I can remember and never ever going because it was very, very clear. I got message repeatedly. Um, number one, through any sort of fantastical historical things that you watch, yeah. I was not in it. Um, you, you don't exist. You get this message over and over. You do not exist. And then you see people, you, you know, because the, the Ren Fair used to be like advertised on television, like, don't forget to come to Ren Fair. Not a single per- person of color in no. any of the promo stuff, not in any of the videos. Um, all of the kids that I knew, because I was also like goth in my heart. Um, like all of the, all of the, so many I things that, that you so feel. Can I listen? It's I feel like I'm I'm reclaiming so much of like my lost opportunities that I'm still pretty salty about. But like if you have these things that everybody just takes for granted, oh, you like this kind of music, you like this kind of thing, you get to go and experience it, and that makes up your whole childhood and wasn't that a fun time. That's not true for all yeah. of us. If I see something that you've designated as yours, that you've designated is too white of me and if i like it i have to accept that this is going to be met with constant reminders and constant picking on me and constantly asking me why i'm interested in this and and if i being the ib kid that i was were like you know all of this is a historical right mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that you know that none of this is historically accurate all right you wouldn't have even known you wouldn't have even had potatoes or teeth but that's fine so <laughs> I like so with Effie I literally gave her this and gave her a strength that I genuinely didn't realize at the time that I could have just gone I really didn't yeah I really did not understand that I could have just gone um but I also as a as a black kid you have to weigh what are you willing to put up with I was already in primarily white spaces because I was in private school most of my life um and then even when I wasn't I was in these special programs that were primarily white so I was already in primarily white spaces all the time so it's like do I want to also deal with this just because I want to cosplay and like like I want to LARP and I want to do all this other stuff, but it's like, I'm already getting this every day. I'm already getting questioned every single day. Um, I'm already doing so much emotional labor just to get an edgy. So it just, it's just like, okay, I guess I don't actually need this. Forget it. Um, so, So I wanted Effie, you know, whatever insecurities and instabilities she has, um, to have been like, no, this is mine. Like, this is what I do. And I also made it sort of, again, like a matrilineal thing where mm-hmm. her mother had done it and where she was introduced to it young enough that it was like, yes, I understand you're over here chattering about the fact that I'm a black mermaid. Um, like you've never heard of Mami Wata and you, like, you have no idea. You have no idea what you don't know. Yeah. Um, 
the Caribbean mermaid. Like you have no idea what you don't know. But um, she has a she has a confidence to do it that comes from having shared it with her mother. And I obviously didn't have that, so I didn't get to do it. But I I, I wanted. I wanted somebody, even in their sort of insecurities that every teenager has, for that to be an area of strength where it's like, you're not going to take this from me. You're not going to keep this from yeah. me. Um, so you, you actually read part of what I'm about to ask you about. I'm so <laughs> excited because I want to get to questions as a chance to talk. But yes. this is my conversation with you. And I right. need to talk about Gargi this is your time. more than anything. Mark more Mark, this is your time. Anything in the world. <laughs> I need to talk about Gargi. I, yeah. That section that you just read and where you mentioned and you actually make your reference to Gargoyles, I wanted to pass out. I wanted to just lay on the floor and not move. I love so it. I was introduced to Gargoyles as an adult. I was not allowed to watch cartoons as a kid except for like Jesus stuff and educational things because I was in a really... Yeah, I had a part, everyone. I, I was basically right. in a cult. It was weird. We'll talk about it some other time. But so I missed out on a lot of stuff. Yeah. So I watched Gargoyles as an adult. Uh, it changed my life I, because the ability of that it's like show, I've never been the same. Never been the same because <laughs> you could see what you could do with children's fiction. And, yes. And you see, and it's what I love about your book too, because, and you, you more or less addressed this earlier, but like your book doesn't condescend to the reader at no. all. It's even the people who don't get it, who are not part of this experience, who may not have the cultural competency, who may not have the language, it still doesn't condescend to them. It just says, come on this journey. Right, so, I, I, I assume you can get there. I assume you can yeah. get there. So this is my very lofty way of asking you about the gargoyle. And at what point can we also just have a little moment to talk about Goliath the gargoyle, who, if I'm being real, I don't think there's any children. I, know, I would I let know what you're him say that I would let him take me to pound town. I didn't know you were going to say like that, but yes, I knew that that's no, it's what fine. I was. <laughs> I'm an adult. Right. It's consensual. Um, he's a cartoon. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm no, so, get so many emails from Teresa is going to be like, why, why do you like, here's the thing. No, because she already put me with Zoraida and obviously she did the same thing. And Don't she said, this me, thing. L. I see that little face L. First of all, I thought you My were on truth. board L. I thought I, I, this is my truth. I'm speaking it. I thought this is stand a, no in judgment your Joan. truth. Yes. So talk to me about gargoyles okay. and how you develop this character. Oh, so, so much I want to. There's so much I can't even talk about because there's spoilers. I know. Too. Like, oh, yes, there are. Okay, so my sister Jennifer, I had hoped that we were going to co-write this together, and she had a character who um, I can't talk very much about, but. But she had a character and was like, what if this about that character? And I was like, oh, okay. And because I thought we were going to co-write it, it was like, okay, so you can kind of decide stuff about Effie and this, uh, and Gargi, and then, um, and I'll do Tavia. And then of course, you know, I ended up having, I ended up doing the whole book, but, um, so she introduced having a gargoyle. And then I was like, okay. I might have some unresolved feelings about gargoyles. <laughs> and here's the thing. I literally do not remember. I don't remember setting aside time to watch gargoyles. I, there, were, yeah. there were certain cartoons that it was like it was part of our daily schedule. It included, um, of course, the um, animated series X-Men. It included the new adventures of Batman. It inc included um, Cops for a while, the animated Please don't think I'm talking about that other thing. The animated show that nobody seems to know is real. 
had a moment where I was like, oh, that's no, a weird listen, thing to say. Abso- think- absolutely not. This is a cartoon. It's a, it's a cartoon called Cops that people gaslit me about for a very long time to the point that I was like, did this even? exist and now I have it on DVD so yes it did um and G.I. Joe and all that kind of stuff so there are certain and David the Gnome I was allowed to watch David the Gnome I remember that so there were certain cartoons that it was like they were every day I this was like a part of the family schedule right which did come out of being homeschooled like a Christian Abeka homeschooling where you could only watch Perry Mason and then suddenly (laughs) now suddenly I can watch X-Men um (laughs) that's not a joke we literally watched Perry Mason (laughs) oh my god this is why you are the way you are yeah listen this is all still answering your question (laughs) it is um so I don't remember, this is, the, and Jim, I did watch that, and that was a big deal. Um, but it, Gargoyles was not a thing that if you had asked me at some different point in my life, hey, did you, did you watch a lot of Gargoyles? I'd be like, I mean, I was aware of it, whatever. But if you say, hey, do you want to write about a Gargoyle? Suddenly, it all comes roaring back. <laughs> And it, I mean, and that thing was Gargoyles was also just a very, for my age group, at least I'm 37, like, um, it was just very culturally, everybody knew what that was. Yeah. I don't know if everybody watched it, but everybody knew and had feelings about Goliath one way or the other. So, um, and I did not know that he was voiced by a black man and that really, that really added layer. Anyway, so mm-hmm. when David I wanted to get it too, let's just be honest. I mean, his okay. voice <laughs> always, always. It's Keith David and and Delroy Lindo. Listen, oh boy. <laughs> listen. Okay. Anyway, so if they want to ever do like a reprise of Gargoyles and like, anyway, um, so so when I'm looking him, I was like, I want him to i want there to be some sort of surprise about him outside of the outside of the plot kind of stuff, um, and. I also wanted to just show what my literal first reaction to hearing Keith David's voice was in real life. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. when oh, Gargi that- speaks <laughs> for the same, for, so when when Gargi speaks for the first time, I yell first of all, and like, Tavia's like, <sighs> Tavia's like, sploosh. Um, <laughs> what? what just happened um that was a very true to life (laughs) and then yeah so i can't ever never again again. this is our one and only this was our one chance and we blew it um i'm not even paying attention to you anymore forget it um so i so that was a very intentional like that was a very intentional moment i am actually warm and i don't know if it's real I'm, I'm Latino, so I sweat a lot, and I'm very oily, and Listen. I'm like extra hot, and I'm just like, whew. All right, anyway. Um, okay, so. Yeah. Uh, so that's, 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 that was a moment that was important you did to it. me. You nailed it. You nailed it, and so many other things happened. I don't want to spoil them. So um, I would like to turn this over to the lovely people who are following along and listening to us. Um, Except uh, for my editor and Latrice, please yeah. don't ask any questions. Not Go ahead. Either of you. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you want to uh, jump in to explain the logistics of yes. how the hand totally. raising? Totally. Yeah. So this is so great, y'all. <laughs> having a great time. Um, uh, also, I have a long story about Keith David, which that's for 
Okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, the way it's going to work is if you want to leave your question in the chat, you can go ahead and type it in the chat, send it to everyone. And I think Mark is going to pull yeah, out I'll be reading the chat, so I will see your questions and take um, them down if the chat moves quickly. Great. And if also, if people want to speak themselves, there's a hand raise function, which it seems a little complicated, but it's actually pretty easy. If you click on the bottom of your screen, there's a button that says participants. And if you click on that button, participants, it'll be a little window that'll open up on the right with the names of everybody who's here. And there'll be a little blue hand that you can click. And if you click that blue hand, that's the raise hand function. Um, and if you have any trouble, just yeah. say in the chat, like, I'm trying to raise my hand or whatever. There we go. Yeah. All right. And I can see it. And then, off and, and then, yeah. And then I can see it and we'll let, I don't know how to, oh yeah. And then I'll just tell like, okay, go ahead and come on or unmute yourself or whatever. Yeah. So, um, and I can unmute people too, but I'll, I'll let you lead the- Yeah, cool. Yeah, go for it. All right, um, so the first person who has their hand raised is, I believe, I, forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, is Eliora. Yeah, you so pronounced you it right. Your, oh, wonderful. Do you want to ask Bethany a question? Well, um, I'm 10 years old and I am going to write a book, so I'm looking for some advice. Oh, awesome. Well, like, have you ever, and a question to you, well, yeah, first, the question is, have you ever, like, like, felt so doubtful in your book that you kind of just wanted to trash it and start from scratch or something? I am, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm a very particular kind of person. So I personally, I don't think I personally have, but that is a very, 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 very and pretty consistent way for writers to feel. Um, yeah. It's it's not something that will only happen one time, probably. Mm -hmm. And so the important thing is to say take breaks if you need to, um, and give yourself some time to just let your brain do something that you enjoy, but also to understand that it might just be kind of it might just be about stress it might just be that you need to figure something out for your story and figure out where you want to go with it it might just be letting you know that you kind of um need to do some more plotting and you know set a course for yourself but i wouldn't let that feeling dictate whether i wrote because it's really really common yeah yeah uh, i would say the same and i'll also add to it that, that um i do run into doubt every once in a while and often what it what that doubt is is i'm far enough along in the story that i like what has happened but i'm getting to a part of the story where instinctually i know deep down in my heart i'm making a mistake i went down the wrong path um and the answer is like sometimes i'll just back up a little bit and look at the choices and the things that were happening and i'll be like wait that's wrong mm. that doesn't fit the character this doesn't fit the story um maybe go work on something else or go like sometimes i'll just go play video games for yes. an hour and not write and just get my brain cartoons and else, video and then, games are very important to writing <laughs> very very important yeah. so um also another question is um <laughs> like have you ever felt like really pressured about your book because like my parents like i just signed up to do this for fun like with publishing my book and everything and they're all like let's let's do it and they when I was younger, my dad, I don't know if he thought it would help or not, but I've always been writing. So I've, I've been writing since uh, I was about eight years old. And um, there was one time that my dad said to me, I'm not going to read anything until you've finished something. And I don't know, he didn't know anything about my writing. So he didn't know I had finished things before 
before. And Atamin was like, okay, whatever. And then I just went and wrote stuff for myself because I wasn't writing it for him in the first place. But um, I think that sometimes people try to motivate writers and sometimes they get it right and sometimes they might not, especially if they're not writers themselves. So the good thing to take from that is like, that your parents are like involved and invested in something that is your passion because not everybody has that. So, so that is really, really encouraging to know that they're aware of it and that they're supportive. And I would also say, just like, make sure you're having fun because it's the best part of writing when you're creating a world and creating a story and you're getting to do all the stuff you want to happen in a story. Right. Like, don't worry about like, don't worry about it being published. Don't worry about what anyone's going to think about it. Like just write for yourself self and do do all the cool stuff you want to do yeah cool thank you eliara thank you also by the way your book is like amazing it's on like my favorite book list oh thank you and that's saying something something. (laughs) thank you in my top three favorite oh that's awesome thank you so much all right, who's up next? Don't be shy. I see a question from Jackie. Oh, in the chat. Let's go to the yes, chat. Yes, in the chat. Um, it's currently highlighting <laughs> one of L messages saying, you mean I can speak? Oh, my goodness. Um, all right, so we have. She's like, I can use my voice. So let's do. Uh-huh. We have, what is one question you wish we asked? And also, what books are on your to-be-read list? Oh my gosh, so much books. So much books on my TBR. I just bought, okay, the last 50, not an exaggeration. So the last 50 plus books that I have bought are on my TBR. I have not read any of them. Um, So the last book that I bought was The City We Became. and, and it's, oh my gosh, and it's gorgeous. The cover is absolutely gorgeous. Now, I did open it and read the first page because that's what I always, that's what I always do. Um, but with every, with all of the events and everything else that I have to do, I, I'm actually finding it in, in uh, quarantine a bit difficult to read. Um, and even when I have like, I'll have this desire to read and it will still it will still um, just not happen. I just get distracted. So that is the thing that I'm really wishing I could read right now. Um, and in terms of questions that I wish people asked, I actually, I think that everybody that I've been in conversation with um, has, we've had such great conversations. I just liked, I just, I prefer sort of free flowing conversations mm-hmm. versus here's a question and answer that question. I like the freedom of, of just natural conversation. As you can tell, I like, I'm a conversationalist. I like, you know, genuine conversation. So um, I'm never really concerned with like, oh, we'll ask this particular question because eventually you do this enough times, somebody's going to ask it anyway. So <laughs> I don't feel like there's anything that's, that we're missing. Yeah. I also hope, between doing lots of events and also being consistently a deadline. Yeah. I've purchased probably like 30 books in the last month and I have not read a single one. Yeah. Of them. It not just, it's one, not happening. Not, not at all. I have a side job where I read books for a foreign rights agency. So I'm reading books that aren't out for like a year or two. See, that's the other problem is as an author, you're sent books that have yeah. not come out. So you can't really talk about the books that you are reading because nobody yeah has access to them yet so the last book that i actually read was ring shout but i don't mention it because it's not out and i want it so bad mark 
I know. I, I listened to your talk the other day uh, on Saturday with Benderson. It's transcendent. Uh, it's transcendent. It's it's remarkable. I can't. It's so I good. I think what the last book I read was. I think it was a. Uh, oh, it was a blurb, and I can't talk about the book because it hasn't even been announced. See, so I'm like I can't. This is our. This is our life. I yeah. can't read. I can't. Yeah. I can't have time for like published books, and then the books that I do read, I can't talk about. Um, the last thing I did a big order at Books or Magic, which is my local bookstore in Brooklyn, and uh, I so some magic. I know I love them. Uh, so that I can recommend to all of you that I purchased was uh, Black Flamingo by Dean Adda. <gasps> I want uh, that. Clap when you land, the new Elizabeth Acevedo. I love her so much. Uh, Felix Ever After, Case and Calendar. I want and that cover. Uh, that songs of song of race and ruin. Yes. Oh my Rosie. We oh I oh I haven't seen a lot of people talking about this. Uh, it came out last month or maybe this month. I don't know how time works. Uh, we are not from here by Jenny uh, Jenny Sanchez Torres or Cindy Torres. Oh, I got her name wrong. I've um, heard this in passing. Yo, I love that title. Yo, this is so. Here's the thing. It's really unfortunate because people keep making this comparison, and I hate it because of how it centers whiteness. But people keep calling it the YA American Dirt. Don't do that. And oh no! Why. Oh no! I get why they're doing it, but they're wrong. Don't do that. Someone who's actually from our community. Yeah, don't it do is that. A triple POV with some of the most devastatingly poetic language about three oh. kids who decide to board the same train that the shitty American Dirt's based on to cross into the United States. And it is both yeah, uh, that I will a read. contemporary book, it's a thriller, it's just got some of the most evocative, incredible language, like just on yeah. a sentence yeah, level, I wanna... you're, like when you read a book and you're just like, hi, how did you do right. that with those five right. words? I don't exactly. understand it. Like, I, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. Um, and then, Say the title again. Uh, you sh we okay. are not from here. Oh, and boy, when you find out what that title means, it oh, just, oh, I want it, I want it. Uh, and then one last one, which is, oh, my favorite person, I love her so much. Uh, you should do yes! uh, Johnson. She's my debut She's day, bae. She's my debut I, day, bae. <laughs> I, I want to watch, I have watched, I've only missed one of her events. Same with you, I've only missed one. I've seen all of them. She is so funny. And I it just her. is so perfect. Oh, I love her so yeah. much. So lots of books. Yes. Please. please read them. I should have been looking at the chat. I didn't because now there's a million people. Okay. Um, let's see what else, if there are other, others, um, uh, get the participants, someone raised their hand. All right. If you don't have questions, I did have questions I didn't get to. What was your what last someone TBR? Wants to... You did say that, didn't you? Your last TBR? Yeah. Yeah, we, we did. did. Okay. Miriam has a question. Do you oh, really, no. Miriam? <laughs> Miriam is our editor, our editor. Yes. Oh, boy, I can't even speak. I don't even. What do you mean, maybe? No. Do you have a question or not? Yes. Uh, why, why are you all so beautiful and talented? <laughs> well, just, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Stephanie was asking you to repeat the title because she, she missed the title. Uh, oh, boy. Which, which, which one? Title? Uh, and Miriam um, is saying she can't find her unmute. That's so in character. <laughs> The last book I mentioned was You Should See Me in a Crown. It is um, very queer and wonderful contemporary. Uh, a rom-com. Yeah. It's which so we good. deserve. We do. We do. 
Which book do you wish? Oh, wow. Which book do you wish you had as a kid or a teenager? Um, I'm going to be really brutally honest and say A Song Below Water. That's I'm having a moment of silence for that. Part of, yeah. part of the reason. Part of why you wrote it, right? Why I wrote it because uh, I would have gone to the Ren Fair if I had this book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, my answer is Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe. Um, and being a queer, mm-hmm. you know, Latino kid and being so unsure and a book She's... where someone is unsure the whole time. Like, yes. unsure the whole time get i get i absolutely get we like as a queer community we need to have this conversation like as someone who wrote a like like mad traumatic book like i have so much trauma that i still want to unpack through the picture and talk about like we also need joy we need the rom-coms yeah um and i love that that book is about someone who is questioning and doesn't know and how difficult and challenging that is while also just being beautiful uh, and that, beautifully written. Like. That is literally also a part of why Effie is so important to me because we are um, adultified as, as Black children. We are adultified mm. uh, from a very early age. We are expected to know, and, and we have to for survival most of the time, much of the time. So, you know, only white parents get to say, I don't know if my, like, at what age should I start talking to my children about stuff? Well, when you're living it, that's not a question because they have to know certain things. So Effie was really important to me and her eyes being closed on the cover. Me to show a black girl who is confused, who is literally like, I don't understand what's going on. And yes, it's unique to her being in a magic, you know, in a world that involves magic, but... But if I'm going to have Tiz has to understand certain things, has to know what she is, has to know what that means, has to know the cost, um, I want to also have a Black girl who can't answer all your questions, who can't educate mm-hmm. you, who doesn't speak up in class every time you say, yes, L, someone who was innocent and not so much and it, it, innocent both in having done nothing wrong and just honestly not having the language, the adult language that you expect black children to have to be able to write their own, write their own epitaph as of like, we, we don't all, we shouldn't all have to know that. And so I, I, I really wanted a character who does not get it and who people are intentionally actually keeping the reality of it from her. Cause you don't see that with black kids in real life or in literature. Yeah. All right, any other last questions? Yeah, maybe we do. I want to listen to y'all talk all day. I would love yeah. to like, hang out for like three hours. I don't know if I have to grab some food. Um, but, um, and let's have one more question, maybe. Unless yeah. this is when you maybe want to ask. Figure out how to unmute. There should be a button right down here that says mute or muted. Miriam, even your instrument. They are unmuted. <laughs> okay, speak. Just say a word out loud. Where are you? Okay, she can't. Okay, so just tell. Okay, just tell us what because you didn't have a question, did you? You just wanted to troll. You didn't. <laughs> we didn't hear you. Oh my goodness. Why? Why are you like this? That's a question <laughs> asking you. Why are you like this? Wow. She. Just so everybody knows, she so, already said. I don't she, know if you oh, hear me you. because I can't hear you. Oh. Um, 
Is that Eliana? So, exactly. I can't hear you guys at all, so. Whatever. Goodbye. Bye. Oh. <laughs> okay, Elle, are you going to be a voice to the voices? What are we doing, and why can't Miriam figure this out? I want you to know this is probably part of the troll. She literally told me she was going to troll this event. Um, okay. Okay, she says, no, it isn't, I promise. Well, we cannot hear you. I'm looking at my, so I have this thing in my notes on my phone, which is called chaos questions. Um, and it's every time I think of a chaotic question to ask yes. an author. Yes. Uh, they're real bad. Did I fix um, it? They're so strange. Did you, is, is that, that you, Miriam? <gasps> Gasp, I'm amazing. Okay, okay. hi, Miriam. <laughs> hi, Miriam. <laughs> hey, guys. Um, I have a question. Okay. Yes, it is you? truly, why are you both like this? But it is also, if, if you had to pick your character's favorite book or show right now, what would it be? Ooh. Ooh. That's difficult because I do you not often watch gargoyles. Things. It's going to be gargoyles now. Um, <laughs> okay, so two, Elle wants two answers, one for both girls. So I will say that Effie probably is more like me in that she probably is going to watch things 100% for escapism and because she always feels uncomfortable. So she's watching a lot of, um, there's, okay, there's their separate ones and then something they watch together. Um, Effie, when she's by herself, is watching reruns of Bob's Burgers um, mm. because it's just <laughs> like to turn off, to mm -hmm. just not have to think. Um, Tavia is, despite not wanting to be, she is probably drawn to I'm going to be really real. She's probably drawn to something like surviving R. Kelly or something that's like really hard hitting, but finally people getting to tell the truth mm -hmm. and like, and, and see people like standing in that. And then together they're watching Insecure. Yes. Oh, <laughs> wow. You came up with, wow, that was such a good answer in no time at all. <laughs> yeah, I can do it. You can no ask me your chaos all. questions. It was the uh, nap. My chaos questions are like, do you prefer Gogurt or Danimals? What? <laughs> okay, Who's ever first asked of all, that in an author event? Some of us can't deal with any of that because of lactose situations. And therefore it's Greek yogurt or nothing. And it's Greek yogurt only if I can, only if I know, if I sense in my core that I can survive it today. I guess then my chaos question would be, would you prefer to eat? Greek yogurt out of a weird, those weird little plastic containers or the weird tubes that you squirt in your mouth? Oh, the container. The, the, the tubes are so chaotic. The cutting of the mouth situation. Thank you. They're I don't violent. understand who is, is eating their They're yogurt violent. so violently. I like, stop I doing that. Last, and they were like, uh, gogurt because it's portable. And I was like, but at what cost? What? At what cost? <laughs> you're wa and then the stepping. So you're walking with it in your mouth you're telling me you don't have cuts on the sides of your mouth no yeah she said okay. you scored uh, it that's gross. one last chaos question and then we'll be out thank you miriam very much um this is a this is awful would you rather listen to only the band 311 for the rest of your life Stop. or or be unable to type the letter e and have to copy paste it in every time okay only 311 because there was a time, you know, I'm from California. My I'm sister from California went to UC too. Santa this Barbara. This is why I specifically chose right. So here's the thing, because I can is deal. Is the color of your energy? <laughs> oh my gosh. 
first of all, I need you to know that so my sister saw them so many times in no. college. Oh, so many God. times. I liked 311, but I, I 311 I is a very California thing. It's, um, no, I, only 311 is an absolute no. So I guess I'm going to be copy pasting E for the rest the of my right days. Because right there's, the no right there's no way. There's no way. No. I, I, I genuinely feel like people outside of California don't know about 311. They absolutely don't. Like, because just, they if just you're from, don't get it. If you're from California, you're like, 311 was so huge. And then you're like, well, let me think about this. They did the college circuit for a long time. So maybe they weren't as big as I thought they were. <laughs> nope. Like, they opened forever clear. So I thought. I don't oh, know. God, Everclear. Oh, yeah. My uh, God! Yeah, my sister like Jennifer. Oh my God! Okay. Look, I'm telling you. People, th- some oh, people know. Apparently, the Rust Belt loves 311. So you learn something. Oh new. well, they're you know good for us. I don't know. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> it is very weird. Um, <laughs> Bethany, thank you so much. This first of all felt like it went by in five minutes. You are incredible. I also could listen to you speak for three hours. Your book is amazing. Thank Please, you. everyone. Uh, Purchase this book so you can get the book plate as well as the special pin and also get the pin. this incredible human being. Um, and I can't wait to see whenever it happens, whatever is next. And I want a thousand more books from you. There will be, I just want to say. Can I have some more? Yes, you can. <laughs> and you can have more in this world next year. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and Little Women. And Little Women next year. You can have two things from me next year. Oh, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. I'm so it's going to be a good I'm year so for us, guys. Thank you, Skylight Books, as well, for hosting Thank us. Thank you. Uh, I said this before we actually came on, but I used to live in LA, and Skylight Books was my my bookstore. So this yeah. is especially meaningful for, for me, too. Well, we missed you. We're so glad that you were able to join us. Thank you, Mark Oshiro. Thank you, Bethany Morrow. Such a gift to have you. Um, thanks, everyone, for being here. Um, order the book we should have them back in the store beginning next week because they are flying off the shelves um and stay well stay safe everyone and uh thank you again bethany mark it's been such a pleasure thank you so much for having us good night everybody Thank thank you thank you for listening to the skylight books podcast series Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.